ladies and gentlemen, we're shoveling. Actually, we're actually shoveling right on job sites. This is the growing season brought to you by News Talk. Talk at 960 AM. I'm Matt McFarlane. Please be joined by mom and dad. They are Jack and Lynn to you, but to me, they are my business partners. Guys, <laughs> how, how are you doing? Man, I got numb brain going on. Yeah. 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 Busy, busy, busy. I'm doing fine. Lots of design going on. Both my dad and I have just mushmelon right now. It's just completely mushy. We'll talk about why we are so numb right now, because what we're doing is not necessarily the landscape design that many would think. There's something different that we're doing. Anyway, this is the growing season, as I made mention. Follow along with us, growingseasoncanada.com is the website. Click on show bits. You're going to want to use that for this because this week we're getting into some of our favorites, the plants that we find ourselves using over and over and over again on designs because we we adore them, because they are super tough, because they fit into color schemes, because they are appropriate for smallish backyards, which we don't seem to have a whole heck of a lot of right now. Uh, Matt, I think they're coming up though, aren't they really? I don't know. Aren't man. some of your early ones that you're going to be starting, aren't they basically tiny gardens? Yeah, there's just not a lot of tiny and man, as we start getting rolling into towards the end of the construction season, <laughs> things get less and less tiny. It gets more and more, whoa. But all of that and much more, you're going to want to strap in. We're going to be chatting specifics when it comes to plant materials. Last week's design show, we more or less just browsed on our... Glossed over. Yeah, we just glossed over our routine or our principles when it comes to, to like design. This week, we're getting into major specifics. She's Lynn. He's Jack. I'm Matt. Get those Staedtler pens out and fire up the CAD program because we're talking design specifics and some of our favorites on the growing season right here on News Talks on 960 AM. And we're back, B-A-C-K. This is the growing season on News Talks on 960 AM. Follow along with us, growingseasoncanada.com is the website. Click on show bits. It's the visual accompaniment to the show. But before we get into landscape design and such, I want to talk about something that is important to us. And we tend to try to stay middle of the road with this, with most things when it comes to anything airing into politics and such. But in this particular case, this is something that I'm super passionate about. Mom, Dad, you guys were privileged enough to get your first vaccination. Yeah. This past Mm -hmm. week. Yeah. We spent Saturday night, date night, getting jabbed. That's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is not too different There's than other so days. No. <laughs> so many no. different ways you could go with that, right? I'm yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. I shouldn't have said that. But um, so you guys got the Moderna, yes? Okay, and so the reason the reason why we're chatting about this on a gardening show on a horticultural radio show slash podcast is because this has got nothing to do with that. This has to do with the importance of mom and dad being vaccinated to themselves, to our family, to my kids, to anybody that's associating with you guys now, because you have taken one step close or you've gone one step closer to helping us achieve this herd immunity, right? We have to have what? 75 to 80% vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Okay. So first things first is how did it go? Was it organized? What's, what's the deal? So, you know what, Matt, uh, mom and I had uh, basically the same time for our appointments. We went uh, at 7.15 for for you, right, Lynn? Yeah. And because seven, we're double booked? We're, well, kind of, kind of, kind of. Come sit on our lap. We'll just go stick, stick. You know, yeah, 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 no, it didn't quite I was around down. 7.30. Okay. And so basically, Matt, uh, Mom and I were going at the same time, but not necessarily at the same appointment time. Okay? Okay. But it was really strange, Matt. On the way over, Mom and I were discussing about possible injection sites on her body. Okay. And, and so I said to your mom, I said, it was ABC injection sites. And she said, what's that? And I said, arm or butt cheek. And, and now, mom, now, hold on a second. <laughs> it could have been arm, butt cheek, and then the C could have been, no. you know what I'm saying? No. No. Okay. No. okay. All right. No. But Matt, it, it's true. You know, you think about it over the years, I've been in the hospital a lot and I've always been getting injections and they're not always in the arm. They're generally, yeah. most of the time for anything serious, they're always in the butt. Why do they put it in the butt? Ah, it's a muscle. And I've only had two ever, you know, really not your butt. It's like the upper part, you know? Yeah. But, but anyways, Matt, mom, mom said because of the privacy issue, she didn't think that the butt cheek was probably the best way to go. Yeah. And so they need bigger screens. Yeah. I see. That's what you told me. Hold on a second. But isn't that like, you just out in the middle of the open? 
like when you're getting this done. Yeah. How's you're this just, work? You just you're, so, you're sitting. So what you're a leaning bench. What you're proposing no. is somebody <laughs> just drops their drops their pants and no. their butts. They're not showing off both. Hemisphere matter, <laughs> any of the dangly or non-dangly oh, yeah, bits. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay, no, no, okay. no. But Matt, it's it's uh, it's something that you know we were giggling and talking about on the way over. And even though it's a nervous. very serious thing, I, I'm not denying the fact, Matt. And I told Mom that they could probably use something like post-it notes, and they would for you know what for putting on your butt cheeks so people couldn't see your. <laughs> so butt. wait a minute. So hold on. You're proposing that you drop your pants and then the cover They're not your butt. dropping. They would just put a series pants. of post-it notes yeah. on your butt to cover. But they come it in. Up. They come in blue and pink. I mean, yeah. they're male right? and female. <laughs> I mean, I, I know that when I went home, Matt, I had to take them off my butt. No, I actually didn't, <laughs> didn't actually use them. But no, Matt. Seriously speaking, it, it all went totally fine. I, I ended up, uh, I know that it took me probably about 15, 20 minutes before I got the actual shot in my arm and not my butt. Okay. And then I have to wait around and he put this little yellow dot on your hand to, to tell you that you've, uh, you know, you're waiting your 15 minutes yeah. before you, you finally can go home. I know that like when we go in and get our flu shot, they make you do the 15 yeah, minute it's wait exactly and it's like whatever. Same. With this one. Give me my 15 minutes. Yeah, they're very, very cautious. Actually, this is a shout out to the Region Appeal Health. This clinic that was in Caledon East or is in Caledon East, it's still operating, operates from 8 in the morning to 8 at night, except for Fridays and Sundays. It was very well organized. We were processed very efficiently. But yes, you are thoroughly screened like you're asked numerous questions. Never had to show my health cards so much. And they're very cautious. Like after you get your shot, and by the way, it was painless. Uh, you have to go and sit in an area for 15 minutes, six six feet apart or more. And they walk around and they ask you how you're feeling. You guys are fully masked through all this. Oh, yes. All this, yes. 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 Sure. So uh, it was a very positive experience. If you can say getting a needle is a positive experiment. Experiment. <laughs> all that. Uh, I'm very grateful. Jack is very grateful. Uh, when I woke up now... Side effects? Yes. Because um, I was just going to ask. This is the thing that everybody wants to know about. Okay. Um... There was no pain to the needle. Except uh, for that horn that's going out the side of your head, Mom. Other than that, you're fine. I will be honest. Jack and I were very sleepy later Saturday evening. Like, yeah. I couldn't keep my eyes well, open. So my sister, your daughter, Erin, said the same thing that when she yeah. got her first dose, it yeah. just knocked her flat. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I couldn't stay awake past midnight. Uh, and neither could I Jack. also, without the vaccine, I also yeah, cannot Yeah, well, when you get the vaccine, Matthew, you're going to be really sleepy. Right. Uh, I woke up Sunday morning, checked to make sure I hadn't grown horns or a tail. Yeah. I didn't have an insatiable desire to buy thousands of dollars worth of Microsoft products. <laughs> I just Bill Gates is like, damn, another one that went... Yeah, it went wrong. There's yeah. something about Moderna and not making me <laughs> make the people buy my stuff. Yeah. Uh, my arm was tender. Uh, later in the day, I had a headache a bit and I felt lethargic, but that also could be because the weather was changing. It was going to be a nasty rainy day all day Monday. Monday, my arm was still sore, but I felt pretty normal. Okay. And I feel fine now. I'm back to my normal routine. I never really left it. Yeah. Uh, Except you know, for the horn. Other than that. Well, yeah, I just, yeah. you know, I hide the tail in my pants and <laughs> put a hat on so people oh don't goodness. see my horn. Dad, how about you? Well, besides the fact that when I got home, mom stuck me in the butt with a sewing needle oh, yeah. just to make me make me feel like I, I actually experienced <laughs> like, yeah. both sides of the, both of the sides, spectrum. Yeah. You're completely protected uh, with good. the sewing needle in your butt, yes. But Matt, I actually, for myself too, I was very tired. And I actually have not, you know, normally for me, it's a three o'clock in the morning kind of thing. And yeah. I couldn't stay awake past midnight for that. For me, that's amazing. And then on top of that, I ended up getting a sore arm out of the, out of the deal. Yeah, and your arm hurt. And it hurt really bad for the first few days. And that's actually still tender today. But, you know, I don't know why. Maybe it's the weather or whatever. Yeah. Maybe it's a combination of both. But all in all, Matt, I'm 100% happy that I've got it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, actually, I'm grateful uh that we've got it and that we didn't have to pay for it or anything like that and i know we have paid for it because our government has purchased these vaccines for us out of taxpayers money so i get it but i've heard stories of other countries and i am not naming them where they've purchased vaccines or covax has given them vaccines and they are selling them that's awful that's awful this is one where it doesn't matter what healthcare system you have in place. This is one where you should be just, look, for the betterment of the entire planet, 
everybody should just have this thing supplied. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But that's not the case in some countries. So I know that our country, Canada, we've made mistakes around this. I know that there's been a lot of talk about Ontario making a lot of mistakes around it too. But the thing is, we haven't gone through something like this since 1918. And things have changed a whole lot since 1918, right. the Spanish flu. So yes, we've made mistakes and we are going to learn from them. Because I'm going to be honest with you, this is not our last rodeo. No. There's going to be other pandemics, and our government is going to look back and say, okay, we did this in COVID, and it worked, but if we did this, and it didn't work, let's right. do Completely. better. Completely. Okay. You know what, Matt? Your mom jumped up and down after she got her shot and said, yes. So <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. No, oh. but you know what? Uh, also, too, uh, just because we're vaccinated, we still have to follow the protocols, and our vaccine does not really kick in until two weeks after we got it. And then we're at 70% immunity, and right. we need that boost. Because the second shot's just the it's booster. It's the booster. Yeah. It just boosts it. Yeah. Uh, right. So yeah. it's not like, you know, we can go out without a mask or go to big parties or anything. No, no, we have to keep doing the same thing. And they did make that very clear to us. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, but keep us in the loop. Keep yep. us you know, in the loop on, on how you're feeling. Hopefully, the next person to jump into the uh, inoculation party is me. Yes. I'd like to get involved in this. Yeah. Okay. And I was saying this to you, Mom. They told me that, that my appointment was at 1 a.m. I'm there. Oh, yeah. Even your dad, who doesn't I'm, do mornings very well, he said when I I'm went there. to book them, he said, hey, if they give us an appointment at 6 a.m., you know, even though it's the worst time of the day for me, I'll, we'll be there. Okay. So outside of the fact that, that Mom and Dad both have horns growing out of the side of their head, now we are hip deep in design. Uh, we are also in the... We are, we've been out on sites now, and uh, it's actually, it seems this year, and before we start getting involved in the real specifics of this, it seems this year we are doing a whole lot of what we call supplements. Now, in a lot of ways, or in some ways, these are the projects that some landscape companies, or in many, I would imagine that most landscape companies don't want to take on. And the reason is, we call it a supplement when you're going into a person's site and they've got existing plant material that is in great enough shape or that has been chosen properly enough that you simply do not want to tear it out and begin again. Are there cases where we step onto client sites and they have a, a Mount Batten juniper from 35 years ago? or a skyrocket that's in a completely awful or some manner of Fitzer or whatever juniper that's just in a horrendous way. I've even, I'm even tearing out some, some yews that are just awful. I, we have to tear out a burning bush. You must be really Oh man, I'm going to videotape that. We have to tear out a burning bush and a burning bush standards coming out on a, on a different job site. And wait a minute, so what's a Latin word? Euonymus alatus. Whoa. And and thank you very much for, for our Latin alert for that. But So here's the point is, there are some cases where we come in and, and we have to rip and tear. There are other cases where you go in and it's like, this stuff is in nice enough shape that I don't want to tear it out. Now, some landscape companies would come in and just tear out anyway. We don't do that. But what that does for the design process is it brings us into this arena called a supplement. That's our slang for we're simply going to add. The issue that we're coming into here with many of these supplements, and I'm finding that the majority of our jobs this year are of the supplemental nature, is that if you want to start to move shrubs that are kind of established, you have to do that before they wake up. So this is the time of year to be doing it. So our first two jobs right out of the gate are supplemental and we have to be moving shrubbery and stuff around. A lot of perennials when especially. When they're kind of sleepy. Mm, yep. I mean, we're moving, like I'm moving nest spruce around. We're moving, we're moving a ton of perennials. Things that I have some use that I have to move. So we're moving a ton of things that are already established that we don't want to start to have them wake up. The biggest right. problem, Matt, is, is that are they going to fit into the scheme of things with right. with your supplement? That's the biggest thing. That's it. So some landscape companies will come in and just completely tear out. And a lot of times we get a lot of negative feedback because of that, right, Matt? Well, yeah, and clients are like, well, this is a perfectly good whatever. Why are we tearing this out, right? So we try our damnedest to make sure that we are using what is around or what's already in the garden. Can it be moved? Yes or no? Is it worthy of being kept, right? 
So growingseasoncanada.com, click on show bits. You're going to be, I've now mentioned 110 different shrubs that you're going to have already seen. This is the visual. And I didn't do it, Matthew. It was all me. All right, dad. So supplements are something that we're so, tackling. So right wait a minute. Now. Here's something else, Matt, before we move on. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is for Melly's place, right? Coming yeah. up. So the former landscaper that had come into her site did not know how to work with dolomite limestone. Yeah. So he took it and he basically just put it off to one area of the yard and left it. So there's five tons of beautiful armor stone. No, not armor. Oh, sorry. I just made a big error there. Yeah. Okay. Dolomite limestone. Yep. And he uh, didn't know how to work with it. Therefore, it ended up being junked. Yeah. And I saw it and I said, well, we're going to use this because we do know how to work with dolomite. Okay. So again, use your show bits. Because you're going to see exactly what we're talking about. Dolomite limestone, for us landscapers, and specifically for the McFarlands, uh, dolomite limestone falls into the classic category. And in some ways, I think that we're going to try to do our level best to bring it back. Dolomite limestone was a very prominent, prominent natural stone. It was popular in the late 70s, all the way up into the 90s, maybe even the mid-90s. Somewhere in the early millennium, something called armor stone, which you'll see right there. I just I just said the word. Armor stone became more popular. And the dolomite limestone is interesting. It's something that looks like you would find at like the bottom of a of a lake. <laughs> okay. It's very pitted. It's, it's probably very accurate, Matthew. Yeah, it's very, very pitted. It, it has its very it has a very unique look. And what we're finding Moss. And moss. Moss loves moss. this thing because it's the lime, right? As yes. well. So what we're finding is on two of our sites, our supplement sites, sites that we have to come in and kind of dock and lock into what they already have existing because it's nice enough that we have to sort of jump, use that as a jumping off point. It's limestone. Sorry, it's this dolomite limestone. So the one is Miss Melly Colucci in, in Brampton. And then there's another site in Caledon who also has dolomite limestone around. So it's wonderful because mom and I uh, this past week were at a were at a stone supplier, and they had mom they had bins and bins upon bins mm-hmm. of this dolomite limestone. And I saw one pile of it where there were even plants growing out of it. And so I said to you, we're going to be using some of this because some of these sites I have to get dolomite that would match what's happening already yeah. on site. So yes, on this site, the former landscaper did not know how to use dolomite limestone and use it decoratively. So his attitude was just. Take it to the side of the house and just chuck it. I know, Matt. What a shame. $2,000 worth of stone, probably. Probably close. Yeah. So, Matt, can we uh, hit uh, color for a minute? Yes, go. Okay, so I thought that because I always chat about this and mom's been around me forever in a day. Yeah. Mom, can you go and give a few pointers on on some of the tricks we use when it comes to color? Well, uh, what I read and what you told me is along the edges of your garden, use blue because blue causes your it causes it to recede it makes your garden look bigger really? so what i pictured for some reason was a uh, like a blue carpet juniper yeah like a ground cover type yeah. blue carpet juniper yeah being on the edges because blue makes it like recede but yeah. then say you have a fence on the other side at the other side of the bed if you plant red yellow orange flowers those are the hot colors and they cause it to the edges to draw in. Really? Yeah, I guess well, it's all vision tricks. Like, and I we, guess it's how your eye perceives. And it. We, we like we use a lot of the of the ground cover juniper. Now, granted, when I say the ground cover juniper, we use a lot of the ones that are six to eight inches high, right? You don't, we're, like we're not using old gold and Fitzer as you know ground cover. Would juniper. that be no. like an icy blue or something? Yeah, icy yeah. blue is great. The one that we just started to use a lot more is this mother load. And, sure. the, and the mother low juniper is great because it's it maximum six inches. This thing hugs the ground like I've never seen. Sure. And Matt, another thing is when you're going along the edges of walkways and so forth, try to stick to basically one color as, as much as possible because then it becomes too busy. Okay. And if it becomes busy, then it makes the, the especially in small properties, small yeah. yards, then it makes it actually look too busy, too cluttered. And everything is about simplicity when it comes to small spaces. Yeah, I find even like myself, even with the house and that, and even my garden, like too much, too many things just make everything look so small and cluttered. I don't like that look at all. Absolutely. And this is precisely why we use a color scheme. Sure. But Matt, when it comes to a a color, 
again, do you, your backdrop even has a big uh, yeah. effect on what is going on in your garden, Absolutely. Matthew. And you can't control, like, unless the, the the color of the house is the color of the house, unless it's board and bat or whatever, something that you can paint. Like, nine times out of ten, nine and a half times out of ten, the color of that house is what you have to deal with. Sure. Right? And, and why is it, everything's peach. It's this peach-colored brick all the time now. That's not ours. Ours is well, ours. Is yours is bright more. red. Yeah. But you know what, though, too. Even I was, I, I did a, I was doing a, like an interim consult. I have a customer in the Oakville area that has a very, very large job that we're doing towards the end of the summer. And when you're getting involved in jobs like that, a lot of times what happens is like there's a pool going in, so you have to deal with the pool people, and then it's this whole coordination circus that that ends up happening. So. I'm in the middle of, I have all their hard lines set and I'm in the middle now of beginning to start to, to like specify plant material. And so I said, listen, let's, let's get together. We're going to do just, just like, you know, like a bit of an interim chat here before I begin going forward on, on plant material. And I said, remember that when you're picking your color scheme, blue is going to be a prominent part of your scheme. And they're like, why? I said, what color is the liner of your pool? And they said, oh yeah, it's going to be like a bluey color. I'm like, well, then blue has got to be something that we're putting in the color scheme because that's a big blue hunk of your backyard. Like you're going to be standing on your terrace. I have this lovely covered flagstone raised terrace. You're standing on your terrace. You're going to be looking down at your backyard. You're going to see blue. Sure. It's the pool. But <laughs> right. you know what, Matthew? Right. The thing is that even your fences, if you put arbors in and if you put pergolas in, try to keep them all basically the same color yeah, because it becomes cluttered and busy looking. Yeah. And the, even if you could take something off the house, and incorporate it within the space itself. So whatever you're putting in, maybe draw something from the roof line, from the from the shingles themselves, from their 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 eave troughs, from anything that you could think of that is unique to the house itself. Then you draw that out into the space, and it looks a heck of a lot better. That's like the banding on our new interlock. Our house is a red brick. So when we put our interlock in, actually it was you, Matt. You suggested the banding, and it's it. It's the same color as the brick of our it house. It looks great. And it looks it really looks great. Well, on this one job in Oakville, the pool job, when I walked into their backyard, the house is gray. Very, very popular color right now. And But the thing that I noticed was the house was gray, but the, the trim around the windows is an antique white. So when they began to go and talk about the color of the paving around the pool, I said, well, why don't you go with either pull the gray off the house and then do a little white banding around or go with the paver as a whitish color and then use the gray banding. And, sure. they said, and, and they said, I never even thought about pulling the color off the house. And yet, this is where we are. Sure. And Matt, at our place here as well, we have a 500 square foot patio going on, right? Yeah. And we are uh, in the process of putting lattice fencing around it, which is in the play, in the actual shape of, of all things plaid. I'm not yeah, kidding you. I know. Yeah. And we yeah. have two New England arbors entering and exiting this space. So we have basically the same color that's going to be. It's going yep. to be almost like a, 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 a cedar color going on. It's yeah. not going to be something unique. I saw the different. wood. I saw the wood on the patio underneath. Uh, you guys have it tarped, tarped off. Uh, yeah. um, man, the match. The match between the arbors and the wood is so close. The yeah. wood is such a lovely, warm color, yeah. too. But here's the thing, Matt. As soon as we... We just said, here's the thing. I man. know. But in this case, it was accurate. So, <laughs> yeah. Matt... As soon as we put the, the lattice fencing in around it, the arbors entering and exiting the space, all of a sudden that space became a lot smaller. Yeah. And that's why when people have these small spaces, you must be very aware of what is going on around you. Okay, for instance, if you're having an existing tree within the property itself, let's say a large specimen tree in a very small yard, normally what we don't go around telling you to cut all the branches off. No. But if you could cut it up enough so that it's not within, you know, it's making the space feel small. So just remove yeah. some of the branches. So up. you're talking about the lower branches. You want to have it become a bit more of a canopy. Yes. Right. And that doesn't go for your conifers no, at all. do not do. Oh, my Don't God. Don't do any of that to the conifers. They, I, this is <laughs> this is like forcing the blue spruce to walk around without pants on. We see, we see some people in our neighborhood doing it. that. Oh. Yeah. Looks ridiculous. And again, small yard map. Use taller plants. That's another yep. thing. Uh, the, mess with, and it, mess sure. with perspective. Yeah, sure. you're messing all around with the perspective. Well, you heard us talk about, like, it, like if, if we have a yard, and let's say there's three different, there's there's three nine barks of the same species going in there, we'll order 
one at one size and then two at like a different size. So you're getting the you're getting the uh, you're getting the the feeling plant. that this yes. has been here a while. One of them's growing taller than the other two at all different at the, all different yeah, stages of absolutely. its life. But Matt, again, everything would start with the lowest. Uh, plant at the beginning like next to say walkways and yeah. so forth and then you can go up Use larger level. and middle and like sets of steps okay yeah even if you're putting walkways on a small yard or something what you could do is wider at the place where you're standing and then narrower as it goes further along and let it yeah. wind around gives you yeah. illusions again we do all these things and by the way matt one of my favorite types of gardens to do japanese. is japanese gardens and you have not actually tackled one but i actually have one i brought a a tea house in from japan to do the job and uh, $75,000 is not a cheap thing to do, Matt. Yeah, yeah and yeah. actually they still love it today, thank heavens, because they're actually me- mechanics here in town, right, Matt? That's fantastic. For a vehicle. She's Lynn, he's Jack, I'm Matt. On the other side, we are going to get into specifics when it comes to plant materials and, this, and the stuff that we adore and you'll find on our jobs. This is the growing season on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. season on news talks on a 960 a.m follow along with us growing there's a little sound of the keyboard typing click on show bits that's the visual accompaniment to the show and uh, for those that are for those that are wondering where our landline program has gone on wednesday nights we're going to scale it back to to once a month and that might even change. Our landscape design and construction schedule is so busy right now that we sort of have to play favorites and figure where is the best place to spend our time and to place our time. And right now, the the growing season radio show is the most beneficial. important and beneficial of the media stuff that, that we're doing. If things begin to slow down and get a little bit less frenzied coming in the middle of the season we might go back to the landline maybe twice a month but there's absolutely no way right now with the season shaping up to be how it is that i can be on the landline every week just not just not possible well matthew you are very busy with your landscaping but also you are supervising your kids virtual school and now now the entire province of ontario is involved in that so i feel that uh you know, we have to scale back because, you know, this is kind of an emergency situation. Trying to run a business, trying to yep. help your kids with their online schooling is something has to give. Yeah, agreed. So, Mike, before we move off on the specific plants, Kim, we just mentioned something that's up and coming and big these days. What's mirrors. up? Yeah, mirrors in your garden. I'd never seen this till I walked across the street and visited my neighbor in her garden and she had a mirror on her fence and it made her garden look bigger and it's a really cool idea, but... Don't take a mirror that you've got in your house and use it in your garden for many reasons. One, the weather will tarnish it, make it look pretty bad. Stain. Well, it'll stain it. Yeah. The other thing is a mirror that you have inside your house, your household mirrors shatter easily. That's dangerous in a garden, so don't use it. What they suggest you use is an actual garden mirror, and the best ones are acrylic. Now, they're expensive. Okay, here. but wait a minute. Here's my question here. So... Like when you're bringing a mirror into the situation here, are we getting into reflecting light and burning plants off here? No, no actually, it makes your garden. If you're working with, a, you have a really Unlimited small space, garden, especially. it makes it look bigger. Like our neighbor did that, and it made her garden look bigger. It's actually kind of clever. Now it's an expensive option. We it's actually an expensive clever. Yeah, we actually looked at the prices. You can get garden mirrors at Canadian Tire and Home Depot and Amazon, but they start at three hundred dollars. These are for the acrylic ones, the ones that don't ten times shatter. ten times uh, stronger than say your normal glass, Matthew, and they're not nearly as dangerous because they don't shatter. See, for me though, and I don't know, you're getting. It feels like the nineteen seventies to me. Oh, no. Yeah, mirror tile. I just yes. can't. Oh, you're missing, you're missing the point, Matthew. I can't get beyond that. I, I'd, I'd have to see it. I'd have to see it. Yeah. Do you Matthew. know what I'm saying? Like, to me, it just, it feels like the 1970s. Just, just the thought of it. 
yeah. Mount Matthew, they come in every shape and size. They even come in ones that, okay, so if you look in the mirror, they will actually look like there's an arbor or, or a gate open or all these cool effects so that huh. let's say you have a super mm-hmm. small yard. So let's just say that you want, it's really funny because she says from time to time she'll go over to go to shut the gate because there's an image within the mirror itself <laughs> that yeah. has a, a gate right. that's laid the gate doesn't ajar. exist, right. And yes. I know it doesn't exist, but Matt, it's, it's strictly to, to make a yard look bigger, okay? And the idea is, Matt, it comes in every shape, size, even very ornamental mirrors as well. So oh. you could have something that looks almost like the, the windows you see in a church, okay? So if you have the right yard, you want something ornate and something that is very old-fashioned, in my opinion. And I don't think the 70s at all, Matt. They weren't around in the 70s, especially no, no, in the I'm acrylics. I'm talking about mirror tile. Oh, yeah, mirror Not tile. mirror tile. Well, this is nothing like this. I know, but that's what I'm saying. To me, that's the image that yeah. I can't get out of my mind. Do you mind. remember the mirror tile in our place? Absolutely. It's yeah. the same as glass block. No. Yes. Like, yes. it's very 80s, right? It just something. Yeah. Nothing screams 80s more than glass block. Yeah. Right? So, Matt, if you had to pick... A tree that you were going to use that was one of your favorites that you would like to use on a people's yard. What would it be? And explain. That's hard. That's hard. Okay. So it would depend on what's the size of the property. Okay. Let's say small. Okay. Is is it going to be deciduous or evergreen? Evergreen. Wow. Okay. So baby blue eyes is the one that comes to mind for me. Why? I also like, there's something called a Puli Weeping Large. But let's go with the Baby Blue Eyes. Baby Blue Eyes is one that I like. The only thing that I, the only problem that I find with it is that we, for this year, for some reason, have a lot of partial shade yards. Okay? So. But Puli would take that. Puli would take that. But the Baby Blue Eyes is a version of the Blue Spruce that is, it gets maximum like 13 feet tall. By about five feet wide, maybe eight feet wide, but it's, it's, it's a miniature, 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 miniature spruce. And I like it because I love the look of a blue spruce on a, on a property. I have a very hard time disassociating what comes later for the blue spruce when I, when I look at a blue spruce. So wait a minute, wait a minute. So explain to our listeners why, why does the blue look bluer when the new growth is on? Okay. So the... The blue of a blue spruce, and this is where the the sunlight thing becomes a uh, a major concern. Uh, the the blue spruce that's a suntan, right? Okay, so the the sunnier the the location, the more that it's going to blue out, and especially the new growth. The new growth, there is nothing cuter than an evergreen that's that's got the that has the brand new growth. Yeah. It's this like cute. Fluffy, soft. They're soft. Yeah. Okay, so, okay, so what does a blue mean otherwise if you're using blue in your garden besides the fact that you like to use the use the color blue? What does blue mean in, in this particular evergreen? Zero fight. It's a zero fight. Yes. So it doesn't need a lot of care and maintenance. I don't know if it's as, as susceptible to cytospora canker or Picea canker. I don't think it's been around long enough for people for you to know that. And I'm also of the opinion that part of the reason why these spruce are susceptible to cytospora and all that stuff is because they're planted in the wrong location. So they're already stressed. Sure. Right now, if you're... It's how they've been planted as well. Right. Yeah, completely. If you're getting into partial shade stuff, there is one called the Yukon Blue, which is a very similar size to your baby blue eyes, but it will also take partial shade. Now, there's a trade-off. It doesn't get nearly as blue as your baby blue eyes. Sure. Because it takes partial shade. But again, Matt, this thing is super hardy. It's zone three to seven-ish. Yep. And again, you, you think seven-ish, well, why the heck not in places like California and so forth? I just don't think it likes the hot, dry kind of summers going on there. Yeah. Yeah. One of the other ones too, and I made mention of it briefly, is the Pooley Weeping Larch. And part of the reason why I like this is, first of all, a larch is a deciduous conifer. Right? Yeah. So, I know. Yeah. And so bog- what's, what's yeah. your point though? Yeah. So it basically... <laughs> yeah. This thing <laughs> sheds its needles yeah. at the end of every growing season. It goes season, yellow and And it sheds off. its needles and then, and then falls off. Yeah. Do you want a funny story, Matt? I think you've told this already. Anyways, I had a, a, one of the owners of a nursery that was just north of us. Yeah. Brought me a branch one spring saying that one of the customers had, had, was wondering why their evergreen tree, their conifer, had shed all its needles. Was there something wrong with it? And I looked at it and I said, well, it's a larch. And they go... Okay, so what do you, what's the big deal? 
I said, well, they shed their needles automatically every fall, just like any deciduous tree. And I, and I, I was thinking to myself, you should know this, okay? Yeah. You shouldn't be asking somebody. Yeah. It's a <laughs> that in other words, this tree's a hybrid. It's, it's a, a hybrid. it's one of those weird ones. Yeah. It's a, it's a strange one. But the nice part about the pulley is that it's a, it's a weeper. Okay. And dad, we're talking about, we're going to get into, uh, tear, tear inducing trees or something like that. Sure. Tearful trees. Tearful trees. Trees that, trees that weep. This one's a weeper, but it's also, it's weird looking. It's, it, it, it really, really weeps over. It almost looks like your weeping caragana, like your pea shrub, but even more extreme. Sure. And you know what, Matt? It, it reaches eventually, it might reach as high as, uh, what is it, about 10 feet. Yeah, but I mean, slow grower. You, like sure. You, it's, you're going to be waiting around a while. It but can live for six years. Yeah. And it's considered a, a narrow form kind of tree, so it's not going to take up too much of your yard. But I, I think it's a, it's a pretty thing. And, and again, when people tar- start talking pH, just remember, Matt, most, most of the pH in your, in your soils in, uh, is around this, the five and a half to yeah, six and a half most range. Of it's so these trees are going to be just fine. Right? Sure. Yeah. yeah, Mom? You can even grow it in zone 3A, which, hey, means it can grow in Saskatoon. Absolutely. And I, my, th- a real, real my thought one. would be is that you can grow it there because of it, because of the, the, it, it drops the needles. Sure. Yeah. So, right. Matt, if you, so Maddie, if you're going to pick a tree that f- could fit on a relatively small yard, that had a beautiful flower first thing in the spring, yeah. what would you choose? It would not be Saucer Magnolia. No. Oh, no. It like would not tree. be. Hystrenanthus again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would go with a Managawa. Okay. Why? So for, our list, our, so for our audience that doesn't know, an Amanagawa flowering cherry, this is another oddball one. Okay. It's a cherry. It doesn't seem to be as susceptible to many of the cherry diseases that most of your other cherries are. It also stays relatively narrow. It stays, what, five feet, six feet, which is super narrow for a for a cherry. Now, here's the thing. Oh, Ooh, this, is catching. Show. this is catching now. It's a cherry. So you're getting the spring bloom. And I know we have a rule here where it must do more than one thing. The, the, the thing that it does... That is more than one thing. Is it super narrow? As well as the leaves get this weird bronzy copper. So it does the catch thing. and reflect thing. It's really cool. So in this in the in the fall, you get this fall color that is bronzy, olivey, and it has the cherry leaves. So it's those leathery, shiny looking leaves. It's a very cool little effect. Does it have the lenticel issue of things going on? I yeah. love the lenticel. It's a straight up cherry. So you're gonna get so my dad's talking about cherries are notorious for having lenticel just means little lines on the bark, okay? And the cherries are, they have this coppery colored bark. So it has Beautiful. all of that. Plus in the springtime, it gets these white, pink, powder puffy looking flowers. Absolutely beautiful. Does because it make cherries? I would assume it makes some rudimentary form of fruit, but no, it's nothing it's like, not really it's, really not, really. it's not avium or But anything. because of the narrow uh, aspect of the tree itself, it's great for these tight areas where people yep. want to not use their typical upright. Absolutely. I, was, I, I did a job in uh, Waterdown. I did a design. And I used a Manogawa on the corner of the house. And then all the way down the house, I used some Rosa Sharon, some of the earlier bloomers, some of the later bloomers. So you'd have the springtime flower of the Amanogawa, and then you have the staggered color of the Rosa Okay, Sharon's. so why would you put an upright on, say, the corner and then pull it out somewhat? What, what are we doing there? Because what happens is a lot of times, and you'll hear me say this over and over, and it's funny because most of my clients that are listening to this will be like, yeah, he said that on my side too, is... The corner of a house, a lot of times, it's a very immense-looking structure, and you put you put a tree or a something columnar on the corner of the house, and you pull it out, and it basically it's like when you have an object on your little like on your little photograph program, and you can click the one side of the box, and you can pull it, and you can stretch that object out. What it does is it pulls the corner of the house out and down. And another thing, Matthew, right? it's in scale. Yeah. And another thing is they don't realize, they don't look up again. Look up and see what the roof line's doing. Yeah. How is that tree going to look in the future when it starts to grow? Agree. Okay, so Matt, if you were going to pick uh, an actual flowering shrub, what would you pick oh, as man. far as okay. up and coming? So this, the shrub that I'm going to pick, I used to use a lot of and then got away from it because I felt like I'm using a lot of this. And then got back into it because it's like, yeah, but we use a lot of this because there's a, a big reason why. So this is a member of the Potentilla family and Potentilla Sinkfoil, Potentilla Fruticosa. Ferrari. Is, Ferrari, yes, uh, is is a classic. 
Okay, and this would fall into dolomite limestone with some potentilla around it, and you're getting into classic here. But the reason why people use a lot of potentilla is because these suckers freaking bloom. And they're really constantly re- bloom. Repeat bloomers all the time. Repeat. They just it's never lit- stop. Never Once stop. June on. From June, about come June? On. Yeah. But man, well, they're also a great way to tell what your a barometer for your garden. Yeah. Between the, those and the ferns. Okay. So the potentillas and the ferns have a, are a great way to tell whether or not your garden is healthy. Yeah. So is, if it's, is, it, is it getting enough water? Is it getting enough fertilizer? Is it in the right shade light conditions and so forth? Yeah. So this thing, by the way, wants full sun because you have a lot of bloom yeah and it goes to show you that anything that has fruit flower bloom nuts or berries requires at least six Six hours hours plus of sunlight so the one that i use and the reason why i use it is for some reason orange has been falling into my color schemes lately and not your not your tangerine orange but a bit more of a burnt a bit more of an ambery type of orange. So you're not interested in the red ace or the tangerine potentilla then? No, this one that I've been using a lot of is called a mango tango. And the reason why I like Uman. it... Sorry, what? A Latin part of it is Uman. It's called so, Triticosa Uman. So it's nice because what happens is the outer edges of the flowers are orangier. And then as you get a little bit towards the center, it, it, it's almost like a gradient. So you're getting less and less orange, almost into the yellow. So it's a very, it's one of those flowers where you want to examine completely it. Completely pops. It completely pops. And you want to examine that flower close up because there's a lot going on. It's like when you see anything variegated and you want to get up yeah. close to that leaf because you're like, what's, what's happening with that thing? Right? So this is a very similar thing. It's, a, it's your classic potentilla. I also like close potentilla because of the shape. They're just natural little mounders. They just want to mound. Two feet wide. Two feet wide. Uh, what is that? One, not one, one half of a meter, roughly, right? Yeah, and it's just it's a nice little tight shrub, and it, and it's a repeat bloomer. Now, my dad's going to go on to say, and he's right, nothing blooms more feverishly or for longer than your classic yellow potentilla. Yeah, the okay. old variety, the gold drops, right? So all of these hybrids, the pinks, the reds, this mango tango, they're going to bloom, but not as not as furiously as your yellow. And it's funny, some of the if you switch to some of the other varieties, like the Pink Lady or the what's the white variety? Snow well, Mount Pink or Beauty, something. Pink Beauty. Abbotswood. Abbotswood's another. Abbotswood's white. They right. don't have as nearly as many blooms as the yellow varieties for yeah, some reason. For some reason. So but again, beautiful. If you're looking for orange, orange is a really hard color to get that's not in an annual. Sure. And another, can't, they can't be half bad, Matt. They belong to the Rosaceae family. They're, yeah, potent. So they're fantastic. Great. But Matt, lately we've been doing a lot of drawings and we've been using ground cover euonymus, uh, not euonymus, sorry, uh, junipers. Yep. Okay? Yep. And so we've been... Now in, we got away from ground cover junipers for years. Because they were getting a lot of spider mite. Yeah. That was the main problem. Yeah. But these new varieties they have out right now, they have something called icy blue This is juniper, awesome. And which is basically a blue rug juniper. But so... Low. So blue as and well. And so low. Yeah. And you know what's interesting about this one is... What, four to six inches tall or something? That's it. Yeah. Nothing. Know? It literally hugs the ground. And the nice part about this is, this is the difference. I don't know how they've done this. Dad, you know the difference between when you get up close and look at a cedar frond, and then you get up close and you look at a chamois cyperus frond. And they look very similar from a, from a distance, but the instant you get in really, really close... It looks different. There's something different about it. This icy blue does not look like a blue rug or a blue carpet. No. It looks no. completely different. It's still a Juniper's horizontalis, right? But they've done something. It's a, it has a, a fern, almost a fern-like effect on the... So it's very the, soft looking. Yeah, and the and the awls on it or whatever. Awls the, the scales. And the awls, scales yeah. are different looking than your other ground cover Juniper's. And, even when the new growth comes on, the change doesn't really change. Uh, doesn't add color. Doesn't change. No, much. this is blue. It just it's blue all it's the blue. time. But yeah. Matt, it's a, it's a zero fight again, yeah. and I I like using it in rockeries and and things like that, and especially near and around rockery stone themselves. And Matt, the other one that's out now we've been using lately is something called Mother Lode Dwarf Juniper. Another zero fight. But this time around, still same same thing, Juniper's horizontalis, really low again, four to six inches tall. I would say lower than your icy. Yeah, but here's another big one. It's also a zero fight, even though it's not blue. It's, it's kind yellow. of a yellowy, yellowy. gold color. Yeah. yeah. And again, this one looks different. Sure. 
it looks completely different. It's got it's almost got a bit of a rounded edge on the on how the branch structure sure. forms. And it would even thing. take a bit of of shade, Matthew. Yeah. And for for most for our listeners, most ground cover junipers will not take shade. Okay, yeah. if you if you're wanting to, to to get into shade ground cover evergreenish stuff, you're you're probably getting into some of your ketoniaster. Okay, but this mother load will take partial shade. Sure. And again, Matthew, it'll basically take any soil type. Doesn't yeah. care about the pH. So these, both these two that I have just mentioned, these ground cover junipers yeah. are fantastic. Mom, if you had to pick something in a perennial line that you would say was one of your favorites, what would it be? Oh, you know what I'm partial to. I thought it was me. Well, definitely. <laughs> you're perennial. You've been here a while. Yeah, I'm a perennial. I love daisies. They go back to my childhood. I remember being on walk for walks with my parents and picking daisies and they're survivors. They, I can remember picking them between the ties on a railroad track, but this one is called the, wait, 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 what is Kelly called? Road, road daisies, daisies or something? Road daisies. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Road yeah. Daisies, There's yeah. just something about a daisy. This is the silver princess Shasta daisy. Mm. And, um, it's Love very it. refined. Minute, it's got, so what's its Latin name, Lenny? Oh, Lucanthemum super bum. Yes. Can't and, go uh, wrong there. It's, yeah. It's yeah. the thing with bumming. And again, too, you know, you would have seen it at the vaccination. Oh, yeah. They had lots of super bums. Lots of cases lying around. Yeah. No. Um, no. And it, yeah, I, it's, um, it's a herbaceous perennial. It's got very fine foliage. Uh, daisies, Are they native here, Lynn? No, they're not. I thought they were because they're such survivors. Daisies originally came from Europe and Japan, and but they were brought to North America in the early 1900s. Uh, they first, I guess, were start, started growing in Northern California near Mount Shasta. So this is where the name Shasta comes from. Uh, the fellow that brought them over from Europe was a fellow named Luther Berkeley or something, Burbank? Burbank, I think yeah. it is. But now they're all over the place. I mean, I'm surprised that they're not... Hardy as anything, Matthew. Oh, but yeah. there's only got one problem. It's the stupid not-root nematodes that go around and chomp the roots on them. Yeah, because we had a Shasta in our garden. And, of course, like I love Shasta daisies. But, yeah, it disappeared. It must well, have been that and, nematode. And the issue with these things, too, is that the bloom time's not crazy long on them. No. Okay. If you cut them back after they bloom the first time, if you cut them back, they will bloom again, but they need full sun. So I, I hadn't used a Shasta on a design in I can't even tell you when. And on this one design in, in Waterdown, she, she wanted it super, super, super feminine. I used two different varieties. I used the Silver Princess, which, which mm-hmm. is the one that you're talking about here. Yeah. I also used Alaska Shasta. Which is the taller variety, yeah, right? which the is like a one. thirty-two yeah. inch, yeah, right. Sure. This one only gets fifteen inches high as, as far as the flower height. Sure, and that's little, yes, and little, little petite yeah. little thing. And another yeah. thing, Matt, they, they're tolerant to basically any Anything. pH. Yeah, they don't care about urban pollution whatsoever. They even take a bit of salt. And I think, Matt, on the whole, I, I think we should be using them way more in our I, alpine gardens. I, I got to yeah, tell you, like, and again, it's just the Shasta fell out of my usual bag of tricks. And after having done this, now I'm like. There's nothing in the garden texture wise that that looks like this. Sure, there's zones three to seven too. Oh, they're just oh, wicked wow, they're survivors. Tough, yeah. Wickedly hard. So, man, have you, uh, what's our time like? Do you have time to? We hit? got about two minutes. Can you maybe uh, talk to our listeners and tell them a little bit about this variety that you've been using for hosta called Touch of Class? Oh boy! Oh my God! I want one. I love it, Matthew. Oh my God! Okay. So Touch of Class Hosta is, if you have had a design done by me in the last 18 months, you have a Touch of Class Hosta, and they're obviously providing that And it's, it's getting, I'm getting, getting it, passing it on to your pops all the time. Holy, okay. So we love Hostas. My, my whole concern when it comes to Hostas is just that they've been sort of done to death, okay? Uh, not this, with the new varieties, man. Not the new varieties. So this thing here, the... The Touch of Class Hosta is an absolutely, in my opinion, this is the this is the climax as far as Hosta. It's got a, a powdery blue edge on it, and it has this lime green stripe down the middle it's of it. It's almost yellowish, actually. It's a very, very weird contrast. And for me, my number one favorite color in a flower bed is blue. I absolutely love the powder blue it color. It would look gorgeous up against the red brick of our house. And the nice part is they have a thick leaf on these Tasha class hostas. They're, but they're but actually, there's only one thing. Don't let them dry out, Matt. They no, really look like hell. No. 
but they're reported to be somewhat slug proof because oh. their leaves are so thick. Did they tell the slugs that? No, the slugs are like, oh my goodness, look at that classy meal over there. I prefer a pulmonaria today. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. but so we we use them a lot, again, providing that the conditions are right. Hostas do prefer, this one in particular does does prefer to have a shadier location. The nice part here with this is it's reported, this thing can take up to what, minus 40 degrees Fahrenheit. What, three foot nine zone, right, Matt? Yeah, and we're talking, this is a tough customer and the prettiest hosta out there. And anyways, Melly, I don't know if you knew this, but it's going to be definitely on your you have design. Probably more than one. <laughs> They're very pretty because I've, I've looked at pictures of them, and I, they would look gorgeous at our house. But too. Matt, what I love about them too is they're, they're tolerant to most of our urban pollutions. Yeah. They actually, as long as they get, you know, a, a bit of shade, fair bit of shade. Yeah. And, and personally speaking, I don't like to cut the flowers off because they're great for the bees. So don't yeah. do that. Yeah. But all in all, Matt, with with all the varieties that are out there today, I think that you're. Sadly mistaken not to at least give them a try. Oh, I love it. And that is a great place to press pause. So in the break here, it's it's full on hosta porn. It's happening here. <laughs> yeah. My dad's passing around it's passing around awesome. pictures of hostas here. We're gushing over we're gushing over uh, touch of class. And I was saying the Empress Wu is like it's gotta be I think it's five by five or six by six. It is like it's the butterfly bush equivalent of a perennial. And then I got a I have a fire and ice out front here. Oh. And this thing only grows about a foot high and about eight inches wide. It yeah. never grows anymore. And I've actually tried to split this thing, Matthew. It just does not like it. Really? I've tried everything and I just cannot split it. The other one that we didn't talk about in the perennial section of this was was the hookra. We use a lot of hookra. Yeah. I love hookra. What's the lime green one called? Key lime. Key lime. Key lime. I think Great. that one's really good. If you put key lime alongside either fire alarm or Georgia plum or have you seen... Um, What's the one? Creme brulee. Have you seen the creme brulee? No. no. Would that be cool? I even like to scroll, Matthew. I know you don't we like it that much. We had a scroll, but it died. But it was it was a pretty little hookah. And yeah. the scroll's cool because it's the dark, dark, dark leaf, a dark purple leaf, and then it has silver venation. Yes. Oh, I love it. Yeah. yeah. Really, silver, really cool. sil- yeah. Silver shading. Yeah. This, and, the, and the show continues. GrowingSeasonCanada.com is the website. Click on Show Bits. That's the visual accompaniment to the show. As well as click on contact. He's now turning the iPad around again and, and showing me the, the uh, hosta porn. Okay. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Uh, you can you can click on contact on the website. Uh, please feel free. We are. I have put a six to eight week cap on accepting new clients for designs and for installs. I am literally that busy. It's crazy. And uh, we're now booking into fall of 2021 as well as into spring of 2022. Guys, we're going to end the show how we always do. Guys, what do you call something that's brown and runs around your garden? I won't say what went through my mind. Yeah, me too. <laughs> a fence. <laughs> a fence. Oh. That's good. That's good. Oh, Mom, my goodness. Till next time, have a good one. And please be safe. Jack out. If you miss any part of our show today or any of our earlier broadcasts, don't panic. Just log on to our website at www.saga960am.ca backslash podcasts and look for and stream our podcasts of this show and any of our other great programs.